Hey everybody, you're listening to Living Theology with the Luby Brothers, a podcast dedicated to understanding and living out the gospel. The gospel that brings us to God and transforms us into the image of his son, Jesus Christ. We are your hosts, Doug, Greg, and Mark Luby. continuing our series on common challenges for Christians and today we are talking about anger. It has been a little bit since we've been able to get a podcast together for various reasons. One is just because summer can be a little bit crazy then also fall kickoff for both Doug and Greg doing ministry with the Air Force cadets and ministry at the University of Georgia and the fall time is very busy, so we're glad to be able to finally get a podcast together. Hopefully today, we'll see. If this comes out, then you'll know it happened. Uh, we tried to do this podcast a few times already, but haven't had it fully come together. And ironically, we're doing it on anger, and so it was very frustrating. No, it actually was not that frustrating. But, um, but the blocked goal, which is related to anger, our block, our goal of getting this thing out has been blocked multiple times. It has, it has. And so it's given us exercises in patience and not being angry, but actually it has been all right. But yeah, we're, we're hoping to be able to get this one out and talk through this discussion of anger because we feel like this is a really relevant topic for ourselves and our society and for people from Christian faith or not from a Christian faith, just anyone who's human is going to have to wrestle with this question of anger. So we hope to go through it from a Christian perspective. Um, Doug, will you be able to introduce just kind of the framework we're using as we go through this discussion and the same framework we've been using as we look at these questions of anger, anxiety, depression, and some of those things? Yeah, we've been talking about how does the gospel affect our head, heart, and hands as we address several different issues that we routinely struggle with as Christians. And right now, we're in a section going over anxiety, anger, depression, and so depression will be our next topic. But anxiety is often related to the uncertain goal that we have anger often arises from a blocked goal in our life so if i'm trying to get to campus on time because i'm running a little bit late i'm anxious because i don't know am i going to get there or not and then anger arises when i'm hitting red lights or someone cuts me off in traffic and i know i'm actually not going to be able to get there and then depression results in a situation where our goals seem impossible and we become depressed and low. So if the traffic was bad enough and I said, hey, I just actually have to go back home and give up. So right now we're in anger, which is often tied to desires that we have, sometimes very good desires that are being frustrated in the world, things that we don't understand, things that are going wrong. So as I think about anger in my life, I reflect back to a trip to Singapore in January 2015. I was there with a team of people and we had so much like conflict, tension. We were all exhausted. This trip that we were excited about to rest 
and be in a safe area in Singapore. I had accidentally booked a hotel in a red light district. And like Singapore is this beautiful country, but then we're in a bad area. We're not relating well with one another. And I was just angry. But I didn't really realize I was angry. But I was journaling one day about things I'm learning about God, about myself, and about other people. And the thought came into my mind, I am an angry person. And I thought, no, that cannot possibly be true. I'm upset. I'm angry because of things that other people are doing. I'm upset because of the situation. And there was just this anger that I began to feel at the idea that I might be an angry person. So maybe the most angry that I've ever been journaling in my life is writing in my journal, I am an angry person. And it was just this moment of beginning to realize that all these things of anger in my life that I had just blamed on others or circumstances for decades at this point actually do arise because there's anger in me. Like, it's actually my sin. And so... As we come to this topic of anger, just one of these ideas is, can we begin to see where the anger in our life is actually coming from? And so that day stands out to me regarding anger, because it was such a clear time that I thought all the anger that I'm dealing with is just circumstantial. It's related to others. And then the Lord made it clear. Now, anger is really a problem in my life that I really need to address. And that was actually a really helpful day, because then moving forward, I could begin to actually realize my own issues of anger, the goals that I have, the desires that I have, my insecurities are actually contributing to this. And it was very painful to see how my own issues were contributing to everything. But it was actually a blessing of the Lord to show me that anger is actually an issue in my life so that I wouldn't continue to be blind to it in everything that I'm doing in my marriage and being a dad in ministry. It's painful to see your anger, but it's actually a blessing for God to show it to us so that by the spirit, he can actually be at work to bring change. Yeah. And anger has some complexity to it as a topic, Mm -hmm. Um, especially because anger can be righteous. And we see an example of that in Jesus when Jesus is tossing the temple tables He is upset that the court where the Gentiles were to come and worship, the temple, which was to be a house of prayer for all nations, was turned into a market. And that this place of pure worship was being corrupted by greed. And so there is a reality of that, of there is a righteous anger. Um, And in this podcast particularly, we're focusing more on when anger misfires, when anger consumes us. Not Not a wholly righteous anger but when anger becomes a consuming force that is destructive, not productive, not healthy, not good. So that's just helpful groundwork also as we go in uh, and as we tease out our own anger and not that we want to be simply people without any emotions or never feel anger, which could actually be really problematic, Um, Mm -hmm. but people who know, know when to identify anger as something that is destructive something that is unhelpful or something that we're trying to suppress and even dealing with healthy anger at injustice in unhealthy ways. And so as we go into this, maybe let's just discuss what are some of the common ways that we try and deal with anger, ways that aren't healthy ultimately, ways that don't ultimately work, but what are some of the ways that people try and deal with anger? We have tried to deal with our anger. 
I think one of the main ways that I can do this and I see happen is we try to just excuse our anger. And specifically with this, it's saying that the problem isn't just me, but it's people outside of me or the circumstances that I'm in. And so we have a tendency to feel justified that, yeah, I am allowed to be angry because of what these people are doing or because these circumstances are not what I would like. And, and we almost can kind of get blinded a bit in our anger to even seeing that rationally and justifying our sin. Yeah. And that's the story for me in Malaysia. And then in Singapore where I realized, oh, I'm excusing all of my anger. And then feeling like, because I am justifiably angry, I am not responsible for the ways that I'm being unkind. And I was consistently being unkind to my teammates. And I was other times like try to really show love and care, but there's something of if I'm angry and I deserve to be angry, I can justify mistreating others. And that's a really dangerous spot to be in. It's yeah. so different from how Jesus treats us. And often underneath the surface too, the things that we have to own, Doug, as you were saying, you know, I'm an angry person. Those things are kind of painful and scary to own, to acknowledge really what our sin is underneath the surface that's causing the anger. So yeah, I'm an angry person or I'm just not at rest in my life. Whatever it is, whatever sin is there, it can be painful to own what that sin is, but it's really the only true way to healing and experiencing God's grace in it. Yeah, because another bad strategy to deal with anger is to just ignore it or pretend like it's not there. I'm just going to deny any sense that I am angry. So an example of this that we see sometimes relationally with students or maybe that we've even been tempted to is this idea of like, oh, yeah, I've forgiven that person. They hurt me, but I've forgiven them. And now I'm okay if I never see them again. It's like, wait a minute, like. I think you're still angry. If you're okay with this person effectively being dead to you, you're probably still angry at them. But we can almost say, oh yeah, I've forgiven them from my heart. I'm in a good spot, but I'm okay if they're dead to me. It's like, oh no, the anger is still there. Or yeah, it's just easy sometimes to deny that we're angry. And then it becomes clear from our actions. Like if you're cutting off a relationship with someone, and you think you've forgiven them, it's like, oh, you might actually be really angry and bitter and holding on to it. And it's not that there are no times that it's appropriate to cut off relationships, but I think we just see people cutting off relationships for very little things and not realizing that they're hurt or angry or bitter and think, hey, yeah, we're good. Yeah. Another phrase I've heard with that, Doug, is I'm over it. You know, like... (laughs) If I ever would say, if I ever say I'm over it, that's a sign that like, well, you should probably ask about that because I'm probably not over it. Or if someone says I'm over it, they're probably, probably not over it. We don't typically just reach our threshold and get over it. You know, Um, a lot of times the pain and the frustration we feel may go to a sense of I'm done with this, but it could be that what's harbored there is actually bitterness, not resolution. And often resolution to anger is is not something that comes through ignoring it but actually walking through it and recognizing the realities of it extending grace whatever might be necessary in those situations but i'm over it is probably a line Mm -hmm. that has perhaps never been used to someone who's actually over it yeah i think similar to ignoring it or denying that i'm angry sometimes we can do a theological bypass 
of there's something in our life that we're actually disappointed with and that is not what we want or something that's really hard when you go through a significant loss or when a dream that you have falls apart and instead of saying, Lord, I am really confused. I'm actually angry that this is not what I wanted and I'm struggling to trust how you're good in allowing this thing that's so different than the goal that I had. Are we willing to say that or do we just say, well, God is good, so I'm not angry. It's like, well, there's plenty of times that it is absolutely true that God has been good and been faithful, and yet I don't understand it. And what his goodness and his faithfulness looks like is not what I thought it would be. And so to actually then come to the Lord with, hey, here's my anger, my frustration, my confusion. Would you help me? Versus ignoring it and just theologically bypassing. Since I know God is good, I'm not angry. But if I actually am angry at the Lord and then try and pretend that I'm not, that sense of coming together for healing, I might be cutting short what God could really be doing. Yeah. So there's excuse it, which is this isn't my fault. This is someone else's fault. There's ignore it. I'm, I'm over it. I'm fine. It's okay. It's not a big deal. But there's still bitterness under the surface. And then another one we have is just embracing it. We could excuse our, excuse it, ignore it, or embrace it. What does it look like when we embrace anger? How have you guys seen that play out? I think it ties a little bit to the first thing, but just the sense of justification that it really is the problem of things outside of me. And and the reality is there are circumstantial things or things that do happen wrong to us, but then we respond to it in sin as well and say, okay, because this wrong thing happened to me, uh, therefore... I am justified in my sin. And so we just embrace it and feel justified. Yeah, I think there's also a, a, it's interesting for embracing anger. One of the things I've noticed in myself and in others is just the therapeutic nature of anger. And what I mean by that is that anger can feel really good. Like it can feel really good. And I think part of that is because When you're angry at someone else, you feel justified about yourself and the decisions that you've made and the things you've done. And it's going along with some of what we're saying, maybe with excuse it, like you're saying, Greg, but it can be very therapeutic because it it can sort of be a self-vindication, a um, self-justification for your actions or your own life. Or you feel like if you're angry at someone else for an injustice, if you're angry at someone else for their fault, then that really does potentially put you in the position of the hero. And it's very easy to write the stories of our own lives in very biased ways where we're always the hero, where we're always the one doing the right things, where we're always the one who, of course, um, you can understand me if you look at my circumstances and my situation, and therefore what I'm doing is justifiable, but these other people are are less than I am. Uh, There's no excuse, there's no grace, there's no reason that they could do what they're doing. So there's this therapeutic sense of anger. And it's fascinating for me because I've, I've actually just found this in my own life. Like I, I've found times where I am angry and frustrated. And I realize that that anger is actually related to my insecurity. It's related to my desire to feel like I'm not wrong. Like I'm not the person who could be pointed at and someone would bring a charge or an accusation against me or, or call on me 
um, call out against me. There's a self-defense mechanism that is stirred up in anger. And I, I think one of the things we might underestimate is just how deeply therapeutic anger can be because we want to be righteous and we want to be justified. And anger can be a shortcut to justification, to feel like I am in the right, I am justified, I'm vindicated for my life, for my actions, and the way I'm living. Along the lines of anger being a self-defense mechanism, Mark, one of the things that was a breakthrough for me is realizing that I would rather feel angry than insecure. And so often what's actually going on is I feel insecure and vulnerable and I hate that feeling. And I would much rather feel angry and upset at another person because they did this to me or because this situation is unjust than to feel like I actually am weak and I'm out of control and I'm unable to make people think of me the way that I want them to think of me. It's like, oh, that's actually really scary. And I can feel like insecure. I can feel sad. I would rather feel angry than sad. So sometimes what anger is doing is it's just masking something else underneath. And if the real issue is that I'm really feeling grieved and sorrowful, and I need to ask the Lord, would you help me understand a little bit deeper what's going on underneath my anger? Greg, you've talked about that idea before. Yeah, I was listening to a sermon a little while back by Matt Chandler, and he was just one of the phrases he used that I thought was pretty powerful was that the root of a lot of anger is sadness, and there's kind of brokenness or sadness at the root of that that we cover up, and it manifests as anger. But uh, whether that's sadness over things in our lives or insecurities, things not going the way we wish they were, our life's not going the way we wish it was. It, can just be we're sad and then that comes out as something else and yeah the antidote again when you think about it as a root problem it's not just the circumstances changing that's going to fix that but it needs a different fix yeah because we live in a broken world and it is impossible in a broken world to not face sorrow and sadness and anger and frustration at the things that are going on because things aren't the way that they are supposed to be, which is why we see Jesus tossing the temple tables because people are not acting according to God's will. We see Jesus angry when the Pharisees are opposing healing a man because it's the Sabbath. He's like, don't you see the importance of this person's life? There's anger that Jesus shows because People are not acting as God's calling them to act. And so there is something of that anger that unless our souls are extremely numb and muted, there is a right anger or sadness at the brokenness of the world. But then what does that do? It's like, oh, when anger becomes strictly a therapeutic self-defense mechanism, it's not doing what righteous anger should be doing. One of the stories in scripture that I found really interesting when it comes to anger is the story of David and Bathsheba. And so in 2 Samuel 11 to 12, you get the story of David and he is king of Israel. And I'll do long story short, but he's the king of Israel and his people are out to war. His soldiers are out to war, but he's back and he sees a woman bathing, Bathsheba. It's not his wife. It's the wife of a guy named Uriah the Hittite. And David takes her, um, calls her in 
to his place and sleeps with her, gets her pregnant, and then has a child with her. He tries to cover it up, and you hear his whole story of trying to cover it up, trying to make it look like it's actually Uriah's child, but none of his efforts work. And eventually, he has Uriah put to the front of the battle line and killed. And then when Nathan the prophet, who was sent by God, prophet speaking on behalf of God, comes to David, he comes and he tells David about a story of a man who had, he tells him a parable. So it's in this parable, there's a man with a lot of possessions and a man who's poor with just one little lamb. And he would feed this lamb out of his arms and he would drink from his cup. He loved it. It was like a daughter to him. But this other rich man had all these lambs and he has a guest over and instead of taking one of his own flock he takes the poor man's lamb and sacrifices it and so that's the lead up to second samuel twelve five, where nathan is telling david this story and david hears about this injustice david hears about this wrong act committed and he doesn't realize that the story is about him he says in verse 5 of second samuel 12 it says that Then David's anger was greatly kindled against the man, and he said to Nathan, As the Lord lives, the man who has done this deserves to die. And he shall restore the lamb fourfold, because he did this thing, and because he had no pity. And what's fascinating there is is David is actually distributing justice correctly, because according to the law, uh, restitution should be made fourfold. And so he's quoting the law. He's giving correct application of it, and he is absolutely outraged at this injustice but at the same time completely blinded to his own sinfulness and so nathan gives the punchline which is you are the man and (laughs) lets him know but what's fascinating to me about that story is it just seems like our capacity to be blinded by our own faults while at the same time desiring to judge others can be so strong and I wonder if the therapeutic nature of anger doesn't play in there or just an ability to be have a spiritual blindness to our own sinfulness that we would be so obsessed and consumed with anger and yet completely unaware of our own faults. And it seems like that's part of the problem that we run into personally and as a society is when we anger is mis, misplaced. We all want judgment, but we don't want God to be the judge. Like we would rather have ourselves be the judge. One other just passage that was coming to mind as you were saying that is I'm in Matthew right now. I've been spending a couple of years in that book, just studying it. And uh, the parable of the unforgiving servant in Matthew 18, where the servant comes and he owes a huge, huge debt. I think it's, uh, don't, don't quote me on this, but I think it's equivalent to millions of dollars or like 30, 40 years of labor, something outrageous that you could just mm-hmm. never repay. And he's forgiven because he begs his the master in the story to forgive him, and the master does. And so he goes out relieved that he's forgiven, but then someone comes and owes him a couple dollars, and he starts strangling and choking the guy because he owes him two or three dollars. And it's a, it's a crazy analogy, but I think... The point of that is, do we see our own need for forgiveness in God's grace? And that just totally disarms our ability to stand in judgment over others. And so, yeah, the antidote to the anger in our culture, I really believe the only antidote to that is the gospel and understanding God's grace and love for us. And 
on a micro level and macro level? I think that one of the interesting things, I think that's really helpful, Greg, really good perspective. One of the interesting things is it, it seems in our culture that there's almost an expectation of anger as well. Like if you aren't angry, then you're not about justice or you're not about the right things. And there absolutely should be like, we're talking about an anger at injustice, but part of, part of that is just a question I'd throw out to you guys. Why is that, that there's even in a sense of demand for anger, um, expectation of anger? Why is that the currency of our culture? Part of it is being made as image bearers of God, that we know that there's right and wrong, and we have a right desire for justice. And so part of it is like we're angered when we see unjust things happening in the world. And there's some of that that actually is a good thing, because we know deep down that morality is not totally subjective, but we long for the justice that's to come in the new heavens and the new earth. And the best that we can do is proximate justice here, where we're not going to get it perfectly, but it is good to strive after that. So I think one side of why there's so much anger is because we all know that there actually is right and wrong. Yeah. But then I think another side of like anger is that the systems that we have in place for communication thrive on our attention and anger motivates attention. And so our phones, social media, like they're built in such a way that whatever captivates our attention the best is going to be spread the most. And so things that feel like strong emotions, whether that's anger, fear, lust, all of that stuff gets pushed up through the methods of communication, because those are the things that attract our attention the most. So some of it is to realize the ways that we're communicating online feed into anger. There is some of it that there's like just anger in the world that we desire change. Then there's also an aspect of our media encourages anger, encourages lust encourages uh, fear because those things demand our attention more and so to realize part of why I'm angry or part of why I'm like seeing so many things that can make me angry is because the algorithm knows that I'm more likely to click on that yeah so then I have to like make self-conscious choices to not just feed into things that make me angry and then to wonder like, oh, am I just doing this for therapeutic reasons? Or am I going to actually engage with the brokenness in the world? Because that's also one of the downsides of online things. If all that it does is I hit a like button or a hate button or whatever it is, and then feel like I've made a difference in the world, it can actually, that therapeutic side becomes detrimental to justice because I feel like I've satisfied the requirements of justice because I have liked a video it's like oh so we can just settle for like really poor justice that then takes me off the hook for any real change yeah i think that's really interesting because I, I do think like you're saying there's this sense of the world isn't right and in a very real way we're not in this podcast gonna say oh anger of any sense is bad anger is wrong because if we live in the world that is fractured and broken from sin then there should be an anger that comes about as we go throughout life because we're going to see 
sinful realities played out in our own lives. We're going to see it played out in our society. We're going to see it all, all throughout the world. We're going to see sin, evil, injustice. And the, to have no emotional reaction to those things would just be to be numb, to be closing our eyes off to what is evil. So we've talked about some of the issues with anger and ways we can deal with it. We can ignore it. We can excuse it. We can embrace it. There can be at times uh, sort of a hypocrisy and anger at injustice, yet not an understanding of our own sinfulness, complicity, and evil. And one of the questions we really want to ask and where we want to land this is how do we deal with anger in a helpful way? How do we respond to anger in a helpful way? And so we're going to go through that head, heart, hands framework. How do we, what truths do we need to know? That's the head, heart, what realities does our heart recognize? And obviously these tie in together. And then hands, what does this look like lived out? Or what I like saying is how do you put legs on it for the hands to mix the metaphor? Um, But head realities, truth, what do we need to know about anger? One place to start is to really trust that God actually is in control and that he is the judge and that he is good. So I have to start with an awareness of who God is. Otherwise, I can just spiral with anger. If God is not good and God's not in control, then the weight falls on us to deal with all of these things. But then for me, I can spiral or we can spiral as people because we're not in control (laughs) and there's a mixture of good and bad in us. And it's helpful to be aware of all the issues that are going on in us. I think James 4, 1 to 2 is a helpful verse for me in this. What causes quarrels and what causes fights among you? Is it not this, that your passions are at war within you? You desire and do not have, so you murder. You covet and cannot obtain, so you fight and quarrel. You do not have because you do not ask. And that aspect of their, your passions are at war within you. That is a helpful thing for me when I've got anger coming up. I'm like, Lord, help me to see genuinely what's wrong out in the world. And if there's anything that I can do to engage with that. But also, would you help me to understand what is going on within me so that I'm not just ignoring this? I'm not just treating it therapeutically. But would you actually help me? to know that my passions are at war and then help me to see what's going on that rises to this anger. Doug, another verse in James is James 1, 19 to 20. And I think this one deals really well with anger as well. It says, know this, my beloved brothers, let every person be quick to hear, slow to speak, slow to anger. For the anger of man does not produce the righteousness righteousness of God. And I think that that, verse is really helpful because it says the anger of man does not produce the righteousness of God. And think about how we can use anger. We want to use anger to change things. And and we talked about Christ. There's, there's an absolutely healthy, righteous anger. But I think what's being put forth here is that the anger of man is a sinful human anger that does not actually lead to the transformation that we would desire And I think it's so easy in our own lives, in our world, to believe that human anger will produce God's righteousness 
will produce God's kingdom. And it's not that we don't desire the kingdom of God, but we need to understand when we are trying to see God's kingdom realized, when we're trying to see something righteous occur, but we're doing it through a faulty method. We're doing it through human anger. We're not actually submitting to God's word. We're not actually living like he's calling us to live, but we're submitting to human anger, a self-righteous anger that is destructive. And I think that that, uh, that verse is really helpful just in clarifying that. Is this a human anger or is this a godly anger? I think the last thing for this section with head is just really trusting God as the judge. And uh, Romans 12 is a big passage about this that says, Beloved, never avenge yourselves, but leave it to the wrath of God. For his written vengeance is mine, I will repay, says the Lord. And then it says, To the contrary, if your enemy is hungry, give him something to eat. If he is thirsty, give him something to drink. For by doing so, you will heap burning coals on your head. And then the last last part of that is, do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. And there's just this whole section talking about really trusting God and not taking up our own cause and fighting for our own justice out of our anger, but instead really trusting God as the judge, which is a heavy concept, but really brings a lot of freedom. And even when we, I was reading one thing by Tim Keller along these lines of talking about how do you de-escalate something like a war or when someone comes in and you know murders your family how would you not take up your own cause in a place where there's not a justice system and how could you even ask someone to do something like that unless there's an ultimate trust in God as the judge and that all causes will be rendered right either on the cross as people's sin is taken accounted for by Christ or on judgment day when God punches all sin and wrongdoing and there will be none that goes unpunished. Transitioning then to the heart section, that's helpful, Greg. What would you guys say how, on a heart level, how do you, these realities impact you emotionally? I mean, how do you, how do you get this into your heart so that's actually understood, felt, experienced, realized? Yeah, I think in some ways I go back to where I started with the head because there's a lot of overlap between head and heart, but relying upon God's character and trusting who he is, both that he is loving and forgiving, slow to anger, and that he judges rightly. I love Exodus 34, 5 to 8, as the Lord shows up to Moses and declares his name. And he says, The Lord, the Lord, a God merciful and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness, keeping steadfast love for thousands, forgiving iniquity and transgression and sin, but who will by no means clear the guilty, visiting the iniquity of the fathers on the children and the children's children to the third and the fourth generation. And this name of the Lord gets repeated all throughout the Old Testament. The Psalms keep referring back to the name of the Lord, slow to anger, merciful and gracious, abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness. And I need to be reminded of this is the character of God, that he is slow to anger, to be humbled by the reality that he doesn't treat me as my sins deserve, but he is merciful and gracious to me. And if God has been gracious to me, how much more ought I to be gracious to people over little things? Like that wicked servant story that you told, Greg, of he's got this massive debt that he's forgiven and then goes and beats somebody up and throws them in prison for 
a very small debt. Like, man, if God has shown me mercy that I don't deserve, how can I not seek to be slow to anger towards others? And in this verse, there's the encouragement that God actually does bring about justice, that he keeps steadfast love for thousands, but by no means will clear the guilty. And we also see in this the judgment of God, that he's not just like a well-meaning Santa Claus that only just wants people to be a little more happy, but it says that he shows steadfast love to thousands, but then he by no means clears the guilty. And we can have confidence that God actually will do what is right. He will bring about actual justice. So we see both in the character of God, like an amazing love and forgiveness that ought to lead to forgiveness and us and we see a confidence that God will actually bring about justice that we long for. Yeah, I think that's really helpful, Doug. Um, those realities, and even as Greg was talking about that, the Lord is the ultimate judge. I think there really is such a confidence we can have as Christians in that that really does make our faith unique. I mean, we believe in a God who is active in every part of this world who's not far off who has true justice that will be delivered and one of the verses that goes right before the section greg was and in romans 12 is romans 12 18 it says if possible so far as it depends on you live peaceably with all and i think even for me as i think about what does peace look like in my life and if I can live peaceably with all to seek to seek to be at peace with others, not necessarily if I have that peace fully realized, but if I can be at peace with in my own conscience and my own conduct, there's such a security that that gives knowing that God is ultimate judge. There's such a security of just, I have a clear conscience before God and man. I'm not, I'm not trying to get my own way and using my righteous anger to, or my unrighteous anger, I guess, to, to get things my own way, but actually knowing that God will make things right. And it gives us a freedom to be secure when our external circumstances don't match that security because we have a framework, a foundation, which is God as our Lord, our Savior, our judge. It gives us just a, a peace. And I, and I think for me, that idea of, okay, if, if my conscience is clear in the ways that I've gone about things, not because I'm perfect, not because I'm faultless, but because I'm seeking to live repentantly, seeking to live at peace with others, admitting my own faults, even when, um, uh, it, it, which would be included in that for me. There's there's a peace that comes with that. And I think on a heart level for me, that's that's where I find a peace is if, if you can have peace in your heart about the way you are living, that gives you the ability to, I think, endure much more with the framework of knowing that God is the judge, he is the Lord. And he will, he will realize his perfect justice. It's not going to be yet, but, but faith is looking forward, being assured of the hope that we have, which is God's full justice to be delivered, his righteous kingdom to be realized here. Along those lines, it's significant for our hearts to remember how God dealt with injustice on the cross. Yeah. But Jesus as God became man to save us, and we killed him. The greatest injustice that's ever happened is humanity killing Christ. So in that, 
if you are in a spot of injustice, you can have confidence that Jesus is actually able to be sympathetic with you. We have a sympathetic and patient and faithful high priest. And whatever you are going through, he can relate with you there, even if no one else knows what's happening, even if it's impossible for you to share this with another person. Jesus Christ is sympathetic with you, and he has been there. He's gone to the cross, he's gone to the grave, and he's risen again, and he will give you life also. And you can have confidence that Jesus doesn't leave you stranded and alone when it seems that everything about you is unjust. Doug, what you just shared, I think, could really almost conclude us. And we actually, Greg just had to run because he's got to go take care of his kids. And so he's being a good dad um, and helping out with them right now. Mm -hmm. But putting legs on it, we're talking about hands. um, How do we live this out? How do we practically speaking, give up unrighteous anger in exchange for righteous anger. I think the good thing is we get plenty of experiences and practice for this. Uh, (laughs) So if you fail once, uh, you're going to have another opportunity. You're going to have another opportunity. You'll deal with anger again, uh, which is really real for me. I I think this is one of the things I've, I've experienced some lately is, is I, I can get really frustrated um, for me personally, when I get more exhausted and burnt out, my propensity towards anger gets worse. And so for me, one really just practical hands level thing is, is I, I need margin in my life. And when I've mm. taken on too much and tried to be too much and tried to be a, a super mark, um, as opposed to, uh, humbly accepting his limits mark, which they're diff- very different people. Uh, it doesn't end up well. And I, I can take, I can easily get burnt out and struggle with anger. So that's just one practical thing on the front end is for me, it's recognizing my need for rest and margin, recognizing my need for a Sabbath, recognizing my need for daily rest, recognizing my need for time with the Lord in the morning, um, for parts of the day that aren't crammed together. And I have margin to reflect, uh, because I, you know, just honestly, one, one of the things I've learned about myself is I don't do well when I go throughout my entire life without ever resting, <laughs> who would have thought? Uh, so that's, that's one real practical thing for me on the front end of even just living in these realities is if I have time to reflect on these truths, I'm much better off. If I have time to really let these realities sit in, I have more of an emotional capacity. But when I get myself burned out, I begin to stop feeling as well. And when I stop feeling much, anger becomes a lot easier to feel than anything else. On a practical hands level, I actually just share a story of a time that I think I actually did well. (laughs) So it's the most recent time that I've been super angry and I had talked to Reagan and it wasn't an issue between me and Reagan, but I had told her, Hey, I'm pretty angry right now and I need to just go on a walk and pray. I don't think I can just sit here where I'm at. I need to go and engage with God about this. So I went outside and just started walking, not really knowing where I was going to end up and just go on a prayer walk. And then as I'm praying, I'm asking the Lord, man, would you help me understand why is it that I'm so 
angry here? Is there insecurities that I've got? Are there fears that I have? Am I feeling vulnerable? Am I not trusting you? Am I just feeling like this isn't going to be as comfortable as what I wanted? Like, what is going on within me to like bring about this anger? And then ask the Lord, is there any of this that is like just or right? And then ask you like, Lord, this is not at all what I wanted to happen. And yet it's happening. Like, what is, what are you doing here? Like, would you help me to trust you in this? Cause I am actually pretty frustrated about this situation and it doesn't feel right to me. And so just going out and beginning to walk and pray. And then I just kind of kept walking. Ephesians 4 26 talks about like, in your anger, do not sin. Do not let the sun go down while you're still angry. The sun had already gone down at this point. It was like late at night. But I was thinking, I probably shouldn't go to bed still angry. And so I began to just keep walking around. And it took maybe 40 minutes, an hour. And by the end of it, there was still frustration that I had and still anger that was there. But then as I was praying, expressing like confusion to the Lord, beginning to see a little bit more of why it was a situation that made me angry. There were also things practically that I wanted to do coming out of it. So there are a few people that I thought, you know what, I need to specifically communicate thankfulness to these people and folks that I had actually just been upset at. The Lord was doing something in my heart such that I began to like actually process what was going on and the way that I was just looking through the situation and just focusing on a few negative things. But the Lord has actually wired these people up in a lot of really good ways that have had substantial influence on my life. And then to think, wait a minute, I actually am genuinely thankful as well. And to like begin to remind myself of the goodness and the faithfulness of God in my life over the years. And even how these people that I was upset at have been a part of God's goodness over time. Because it's so easy to focus on something that is upsetting, that it's not what you want, but to be reminded of all the good things that God has done, to remind myself of his character by praying through scripture, and to go home not really having it worked out. There was still anger that came up in the days ahead, but to be able to go to bed at night with a greater sense of confidence in God and a greater sense that he really was kind and good. And I had a couple of practical things to thank people for that was not what I would have expected (laughs) when I went out that night. It's like, ah, I think I need to spend some time really thanking God for these people. That's not my default response when I feel upset at a situation. But I think that was one of the things that was actually just really refreshing in that time. And There was still anger and frustration, but then there was also a hope because I'm confident that God really is good and he knows what's going on, even when it is just confusing to me and I can have confidence in him. Doug, I really like that example because it it gets a lot of what we're trying to talk about in this podcast, particularly in, you know, a prayerful reflection on anger. It's not that anger is useless or meaningless. God was able to use it for healthy things in your life. And I think that that's driving, driving to where we want it to be. We want anger to not be something we merely ignore, put to the side, excuse, embrace, but we really do take it to the Lord in prayer and don't waste it. Like don't, don't waste the anger. Like don't waste the opportunity that that might be God's 
way of relating. Like, I mean, you can use that to relate with God and, mm-hmm. and take it to him and he might change and transform it, but there could be really practical, positive things that come out of it. Cause you shared a positive story. I'll share a positive story too. Um, nice. One of the things that my wife, Hannah and I have found in our relationship is that when one of us is really struggling, it, you know, obviously hurts the, it, the, it affects the other one pretty substantially. And at times we will be both kind of hurt either by something the other one did or by something we did or, and it, it can just sort of go in the spiral down uh, motion. And it's done that before where we have this hurt, this, it goes back and forth. We feel upset. We feel shame for the way we respond to the other one. It can just keep going down. One of the things that we did have done at times is we've just kind of stopped and one night we even just sat on the floor together and I wasn't even sure what the problem was at this point uh, it was like that type of issue I'm like I'm not even sure like if I'm offended or what I should be offended about or if you're offended or what you should be offended about like it's so confusing and I don't even want to tease through all of it right now but we just sat down and just said to each other okay can we just live in grace right now like, I'm sorry if there's anything that I've done that's hurtful to you. Like, I forgive you if there's anything you've done, hurtful you've done to me. We both just had that posture. Then we said, let's just live in grace tonight. Let's just live in the grace of the gospel. Let's love one another. Let's care for one another. And let's just, right now, moving forward together, live in grace. And that was so helpful for us in that situation because I could have easily seen that, and I've seen it before, where that could spiral and things continue to get heated and you can hold in bitterness or frustration or irritation. And then you feel shame about the way you've acted and it can just spiral down so much, but just almost to stop and say, okay, Lord, what does your grace look like if it enters into this situation and it can change things? It, I mean, it does change, it changes everything, which is what the gospel does. So it's a conversation on anger and, we hope that that's somewhat of help as you're thinking through issues of anger. Probably the biggest takeaway is to continue to take things to the Lord in prayer. It's cliche advice, but it's as true as it is cliche. So that's going to be the challenge for us, and we hope that you're encouraged by that as well. Thanks. Thanks for joining us for this episode. We hope it's of encouragement to you and that you join us next time for another discussion. The music excerpts for this podcast come from the song Enthusiast by Tours, which is licensed under a Creative Commons attribution license. More information can be found in the show notes.